It seemed like it was just last year, and here it is again. And uh, Dennis, I appreciated you mentioned that too. You know, you can't believe how quickly Christmas again is upon us. And it's good to see everybody here this morning, and uh, we got a lot of folks that are out on the road today with their families, and we hope that they have a wonderful day too as they worship the Lord tomorrow and remember his birth. Um, well, again, we're celebrating a birth of Christ. And do uh, you ever tired of that? Everybody looks forward to this time of the year, Christmas. And uh, oftentimes, though, that many that think about Christmas, they're thinking of other things other than Christ being born. But when we stop and think and train our attention onto this special day, we see that it's one of the greatest events, and we talked about this earlier, it's a great event that happened in this world, and um, it's an amazing event. It's like a miracle in all human history that's occurred. And, um, and it really goes beyond all typical human expectations. This is unique. This is a unique birth. It's different than what we're accustomed to. And it defies all the usual laws of nature. And uh, for example, if we, uh, the creation of water out of nothing by God is a miracle. That is a miracle to create something out of nothing. But that's what God does. Uh, but a bottle of water today, even one is as beautiful as Lake Tahoe. I think most of you have probably seen Lake Tahoe. It's a beautiful lake, but it's not a miracle. It's just a body of water. And, um, but if we were to look at Lake Tahoe from a high vantage point and look at that gorgeous lake, and suddenly we saw those waters part in the middle, and we'd see a dry path from one side to the other, east to west, would that be a miracle? I think it would be. That's a miracle. Another miracle would be if we actually looked at some of those granite mountains there, and we saw this suddenly this gush of water flowing out from solid granite rock, that would be a miracle from God. That's not normal. It's unusual. However, we uh, are looking at a miracle today, and that's the birth of Christ. That is a miracle. I mean, to me, I think about it and ponder on it. You know, the Lord says, be still and hear my voice. Just thinking of this message, just thinking about his birth and what a miracle that was. Um, but when I think of the Lord and his birth, it was planned from eternity, from the beginning. That's what I find amazing. It was all planned out from the beginning. Well, we see that Thinking about miracles, I really love this time of the year. You know, you see all the decorations, you know, all the houses are decorated. Wherever you go to the malls, everything is decorated and looks, you know, beautiful. That's one of the things I enjoyed in the Philippines that during this time at Christmas, boy, they really get into the decoration mode. You know, all the businesses there have contests and they start in September. And they just go for three months. You go into the store, they're playing White Christmas. I was telling Ed earlier this morning, White Christmas? They've never seen White Christmas in the Philippines. Why do they sing White Christmas in the Philippines? But, um, you yeah, know, they really get into the mode. 
And we see the same thing here. You know, we see all these multicolored decorations in our neighborhoods, and, and uh, people just go all out decorating their homes. We get Christmas cards from all our friends and, and relatives, and uh, we hear all the, the music, old and new, and, but we're really reminded of Jesus' birth, for those that know him. You can't get around it. That's what it's all about. It's not about decorations. It's not about the music. But it's about Jesus. And he is truly a miracle of the Lord. Well, Christmas has a way of creating some of our most cherished memories. I was thinking last night of all the Christmases that, that, I've, that have passed in my life, which have been many since I'm up there in years now. And uh, I was thinking about, wow, I have so many uncles and aunts and cousins, and so many I don't even know them now. They're all over the place. But um, it's a time where I really remember um, those family gatherings. And they're cherished memories when you think about it. I mean, there's all kinds of funny things that happen at these family gatherings. I won't mention anything, Daryl. You're okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a lot of fun things that occur at these family gatherings. And, you know, you've got uh, homes that are all packed with grandparents and cousins and brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, and you have all these children running around in the house, you know, and if you have a small house, it's really interesting because kids are weaving in and out, you know, between the, the tables and people, and it uh, can get really chaotic. Um, but there might be memories like... Um, a child spying on that gift that's under the tree, hoping that there's that chemistry set they're going to get. Or I wish my other son-in-law was here because he always wanted a Red Ryder BB gun. You know, I think of them just sneaking out to see if it's under the tree. Is that something that they're going to get? Or it's a time where family crowd around on a couch and, and uh, to watch It's a Wonderful Life or Charlie Brown's Christmas. Those are fond memories when you look back on those times. I, I was looking back on ours, I was thinking, wow, a couple years ago, we had five generations at the house celebrating Christmas. Five generations. Very unusual. But again, wonderful memories. Um, you know, we see so many people today, especially in our neighborhood, there's some people that really go out for the Christmas. I mean, I walked out there today, and there was, or yesterday, there was like a 50-foot Santa Claus out in front of the yard. You know, I walk out, and I go, what is that? It, everybody gets into it, and they've decorated so much stuff. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It looks like Disneyland at, at, during Christmas time. But uh, they really get focused on that. And... Um, you know, another thing that you see people do this time of the year, they focus on going on vacations, finally get together, get away from their family, go on a vacation, and uh, just to get away. Uh, but then there's others that really have their direction set toward the great miracle that God brought, and that's on his birth. You know, they forget about all the decorations. They forget about all the music. They look back at that time like we did this morning, thinking about the Lord's birth and why he came. Well, it was a pretty amazing, if I look back here, is that uh, last Sunday, it was a, David was speaking on um, 
the book of Revelation. And um, it was interesting to hear that message on Revelation chapter 9. If you've never read it, take time to read it because it's quite an amazing chapter. As you go through verse by verse, you start seeing things that God's going to judge the world and how he's going to do it. And as David was going through it, it uh, really caused me to think about the Lord. Um, When I heard about these locusts coming to this earth from the abyss, they come up from the abyss, my brain was just putting together all these mental images and these sounds, you know, when you... And uh, just imagining the terror and the horrors that come when this invading force of locusts come to this earth. And the locusts will be here for five months, and they'll appear for five months. But some of the things that was brought out in these verses, it says that the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots. Just think about that, what that would be like. These big creatures... Not little locusts or locusts, you know, that we think of crawling around in the the countryside, but these are big. And um, I just got thinking of the sound of those wings and what that would be like. Have you ever heard the wings of a hummingbird? You know, hummingbirds about like this, but we've got a lot of hummingbirds in our front yard, and when they come around zooming around, you know when they're around. They they just make this loud noise with their flapping wings. And um, I got thinking what the sound of that would be like the sound of chariots. And, uh, and then it's described that it had breastplates as if were breastplates of iron. And then tails like scorpions with stings, and their tails is their power to hurt men five months. And to me, the most frightening in that, that, that uh, chapter was, men will seek, death, will seek death, but they will not find it. Chapter 9 details what God's judgment is going to be, his final judgment as he lays out to those who continue to be disobedient to him. Yet even in the thick of all these terrifying events that uh, David was describing, God always gives a message of hope and peace. And... um, It was like a cloud over my head as I was thinking about these things. It caused me right away that day, David, when I was sitting here listening to you, wow, I'm not going to experience that because I had the Lord. The Lord came to deliver me from that judgment. And I'm just kind of like, I'm not going to experience this. That moment, I realized again, you know, that Jesus filled me with a sense of peace to thinking thinking of him and what he did for me at Calvary. And he made that possible through his son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Over 2,000 years ago, details of God's promise of a Savior was revealed to Mary by Gabriel, the angel of God. His message was one the world had longed for for centuries. It had been promised through prophecies thousands of years before that he would come. 
and it would be fulfilled. So turn your Bibles now to Luke chapter 1, and we'll read of this event. Luke chapter 1. Beginning in verse 29. Do not be afraid. And I love that. Do not be afraid. That's what, how God deals with us. He wants us to be comforted by the words that will come. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will be no end. Now turn over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. This is the birth now of Christ, which we uh, heard about this morning. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. As millions around the globe today do this day, we join with them to remember the birth of our Savior. For this is the day that the Lord has made and revealed to the whole world that the Savior was born, and his name is Jesus. Now, what do we learn from his birth? Well, there's a few things we, we see here from the scriptures. Number one, God planned it. God planned it from the very beginning. This wasn't an accident. It just didn't come up and God put it together. He planned it. We also see that God sent his only son to be born as the prophets promised, and it was after 400 years of silence from God, Jesus is born. We also see, too, from the scriptures that God reached down to sinners, giving the gift of life to those who believe in his name. He is the greatest gift. I like what it says, the gift of life. Have any of you ever given a gift of life? I think maybe the closest thing to it would be you donate blood. I've seen them use that as a gift of life, but this is a gift of eternal life that he gives. 
And we also learn, too, that God is faithful and true to his word. Well, the Bible is like a treasure trove. You know, when you open up the scriptures, there's so much in it that we can learn about uh, the Lord. And it really shines a light on God's nature and on his son. And uh, God's character, we see, is just full of mercy and grace and, and unfailing love. And that's what I find amazing. You don't, I don't know anybody that has these qualities. One who has 100% grace, 100% mercy, and 100% unfailing love. He never stops loving. Now, just think of you as a parent. You're the same. If you have children, do you ever stop loving your grandkids, your children? You don't. You love them. And that's the way it is with God. He loves us. And... Um, so we see that he is faithful, and he's also true to his word. But we have this treasure trove, and uh, through this treasure trove, we see his love just pouring out like little nuggets. You know, I just, he said, search the scriptures like purifying gold. And that's what it's like. The scriptures are like purifying gold. And as you open it up, it's kind of like all these nuggets keep falling out on us, these golden nuggets. And I think one of the greatest nuggets that ever fell out was the Christmas story. It was a story that only could be conceived by God. He is the only one that can conceive it and execute the plan. Only God. It's a true story. It's a true story. It's a tr this is the true Christmas story. What are the points about it? One, the only begotten of the Son came to this earth. Now, that statement alone is mind-boggling, that the only begotten Son of God came to this earth. He was born a human, fully God, yet fully man. He came to suffer and to die on a cross for us. He miraculously rose from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Those are the, a wonderful golden nugget that falls out from the pages of Scripture as we look at the true Christmas story. Turn with me now to John chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. Now, as you go through this chapter, the first four verses, I want you to really think about what it's saying here. Now, this is some of my favorite verses in the Scripture. And uh, oftentimes you, you hear people say, well, Scripture, uh, you can't trust it. But here we're going to find about the true character of God, and we're going to see how Scripture interprets itself. It says at the, very first begin, at the very first verse, in the beginning was the Word. Now, I'll ask some of you this morning, what is the Word? Do you know what the Word is? Some people would say it's the Bible. But no, that isn't what it's talking about. It's a specific name given to Jesus. He is the Word. And notice what it says next. And the word was with God, 
That means Jesus was always with God, and the Word was God. Wow. So Jesus is God. That's what we learn about him. He is God. He was in the beginning with God. That means at the very beginning, he's always existed. Now, is that mind-boggling? My mind can't compute that. He's always existed from the beginning. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, let's go further now in the chapter to verses uh, 12, uh, 10 through 14. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we saw it, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. So now we know who the Word is. Who is the Word? Jesus. He is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, without the Lord's direct intervention, there would be no Christmas story. Just think about that. Without his intervention, there is no Christmas story. We wouldn't be here today. There'd be no hope. And how would that affect us? We can never become children of God. It would be impossible. We have no forgiveness of sin. That's a scary thought. We'd be eternally separated from God. That's a scarier thought. There's no way that I could come to God. God is here. Sin has separated me from him, and I'm over here, and there's no bridge between here and there. Dead in my sin. Eternally separated. And the other thing that uh, <clears throat> shakes the thoughts, too, is our faith in God would be in vain. It'd be useless. I mean, you would, wouldn't need to be here today. Be useless. Well, we see from the scriptures there's clear evidence to conclude the Christmas story is true. And it isn't a fairy tale. It wasn't made up by people, but it's true. And, and how do we know this? Well, first we know that there are many prophecies fulfilled by the Lord at his birth. And I think we've talked about this before, but some of you who haven't heard this, um, there was a man, his name was Peter Stoner, he was a statistician, and he did a study of, uh, um, uh, of stats on one person fulfilling so many prophecies that the Lord fulfilled. 
And uh, we know that the Lord, when he came to this earth, he fulfilled over 200 prophecies. But at his birth, if we just take eight of those prophecies that were fulfilled, Stoner said that the likelihood of one person fulfilling eight of these prophecies would be one in 10 to the 17th power. It's like a one followed by 17 zeros. <laughs> Can you comprehend that? I, I can't. I mean, it's beyond my thinking here. But one person in 10 to the 17th power. Well, let's look at some of these prophecies that the Lord fulfilled. Can you folks read? Can you see that okay? No, it's kind of small. Um, here's eight about over 200 that Jesus fulfilled. And look at the dates. I put the dates there to show you how amazing this is. It, it goes from 1440, 1445 all the way down to um, 570 B.C. That's quite a span of time. And where these prophecies came from, these different books, Genesis, Psalms, Micah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, these are individual men that God inspired to write the word of God and write these truths down in these prophecies. And as he, as he wrote these things, it was meant to, I mean, for me, these prophecies prove that God's word is true. It's impossible for these different men to write these prophecies and keep it consistent throughout time. So over time, these things never changed, and it was prophesied that it would happen before his birth. And I just find it amazing. I, a matter of fact, that's how I was saved, is learning about the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. It was through his prophecies and seeing God's word is true. It wasn't written by man. It was written by God. He inspired men to write the scriptures. And through him, we have the written word of God it letters to us from his heart, and we can trust in it. So as I look at some of these things here, it's just think. It was promised that Jesus would be given gifts at his birth. And we know that there were three wise men that came two years later after his birth and brought gifts. We know that he'd be born in Bethlehem. What's really interesting about this one particular prophecy is that in those days there was two Bethlehems. But this particular scripture points it out clearly. He was born in Ephratah, which was the, the uh, Bethlehem where he was born, which is amazing. Just think of that. We see that Jesus was born from a virgin. Wait a minute, how can it happen? In my biology class, that doesn't make sense. But he's born of a virgin. That's an amazing uh, thing that happened. Um, Don mentioned this morning the government will be on his shoulders, and it will be one day. And um, Herod would murder all the children who attempt to kill, or murder the children in an attempt to kill Jesus. He wanted to get rid of all these people, um, and especially Jesus, but it didn't happen. So we know that as we go through prophecy, we see that this story of Christ's birth is true. We can trust the word confidently and and not think it's some fairy tale, something that was made up by the prophets over time, but it was from the Lord. It's true. 
we see that God is truth. Let's turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Yeah, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I like that. I am the way, the truth. So you know anything that the Lord says is true. You can rely on it. You can count on it. And then in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4, it says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants us to know the truth. He doesn't want us meandering around not knowing what the truth is. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know what his plan is for salvation. Well, we see from these verses that Jesus is the word, the truth, and the life. And, you know, through this, he shows me for the person I am. I can't cover it over, especially since my kids are here. I can't cover it over. Am I a sinner, Colleen? <laughs> I was a sinner. God shows me I'm a sinner. My actions show that I was a sinner. But the Lord showed me who I was in his eyes, and I was deserving of hell. But he promises a life of fulfillment, of peace, and of joy. You know, the Lord has an overwhelming desire to turn my life around from the path that I was leading. And um, I'm glad he grabbed a hold of my scruff of my neck and shook me up and said, hey, I am the Lord, you are the sinner. I am God who saved you, so save you from your sin. I am the Savior. I am your Lord. We see some of the other promises he's made here too. In Second uh, Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but his long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Wow, what a promise that is. His desire is for us not to perish. He wants us to have life. He doesn't want us to have death. He wants us to have life. And he wants us to turn away from our way. It's like repentance is like I go on down this way, sinning against God, and I wake up and see the person I am, and I repent, and I see it, that I've sinned against the holy and righteous God, and I believe on him. Repenting now is going the opposite direction, away from those things, and living for God. That's repentance. It's a turning away. In Acts 3, 18 and 19, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ would suffer. 
He has thus fulfilled, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Well, that's good news. Have you ever had a life-threatening sickness or illness? You go for treatment, and uh, after a while, the doctor calls you up and says, um, I have results for you. What was it like as you picked up the phone, you heard the doctor's voice, and he says, I've got results how did you feel? He didn't continue. He just stopped right there and didn't say any more. He just stops, right? And you're waiting. What's it like inside? Are you churning inside in anticipation of what you're going to hear? Are you going to hear good news or are you going to hear bad news? Well, the results come in and he says in three words, you are cured. How did you feel after that? I'm looking at you, Don, because that's the most recent. And Dorothy, you've been going through this as well. You are cured. What did it do to you when you heard those words? Man, you probably just want to jump up and shout out with joy. You know, I've never had a situation where the doctor says, Howard, you have a terminal whatever. I can't imagine, you know, how my mind would just be going through gymnastics thinking of that thought and how it just upset my whole life. But then to hear you're cured, wow. It's like, was it like this, Don? <laughs> you know, or Dorothy just... I'm cured. Well, there's a peace and calmness that comes over when you hear good news, isn't it? The burden is gone. Your thoughts return to good thoughts. And there's a great joy that overtakes you and it just produces a well-being and elation of hearing those words. You know, Don, when you shared that with me, I was just praising the Lord, just thinking, wow, that's amazing. That is so awesome. What you must have been going through until that day. Well, the same holds true when we respond to Jesus' invitation. He says, come to me. And of course, further on, it says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. That's a promise from him. And it's a special invitation. Have you ever gotten an invitation from the president of the U.S.? If you did, would you be excited about it? Maybe, maybe a few years ago you've been maybe more excited, but uh, you get this invitation, it's special, right? How much more special is it when Jesus offers you that invitation? Come to me, 
Come to me. Well, as we read in 3.18, when the reality of verse 18 really comes to play, when you come to Jesus, you ask for forgiveness of your sin, and you receive him into your life as Lord and Savior, there's going to be a sense of well-being that's going to pour over you the moment that happens. How do I know? Because it says so in 3.18. It says, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I still remember the day when I got saved, how that refreshment came to me immediately upon receiving Christ. It was like this. You know, I, I thought I had everything together in my life. I thought I knew it all. But one thing I didn't know at that time was the sin that was on my shoulders just weighing me down. It was like pushing down in my life, and I didn't know it. But that weight of sin was removed, like it says in 3.18, the times of refreshment may come. And that's exactly what happened. It was gone. I knew it was removed. The burden, gone. My sins, forgiven. And you know, the Savior who came into the world wants to give you a new life and a new destiny. That's why he says, come to me. Very simple invitation, come to me. In a verse that we all know, and we see it um, in sports arenas, and see it on roads and different places we go. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should, what, not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful promise. And he loved us so much, that's why he came to this world. And just think, Jesus was here from the beginning. He knew what he was going to go through at the cross. He knew the, the spittings and the rejection. He would know the beatings that he would take. He knew the beard that would be plucked out of his, out of his chin. He knew that he would die on a cross, be nailed to it. He knew all that from the very beginning. But he says in Scripture, I set my face like a flint. He didn't waver. That's a true Christmas story. He came. He didn't waver. He came to be born of a man. He had to become a man in order to save us from our sin because he was the sinless one, the sinless sacrifice for us. So in closing, we see that the Bible gives us all we need to know about him. But there's more than just knowing about him. I mean, you can know all the facts that we've shared this morning, but does that mean you know him personally? No. My question to you, do you know him personally? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? Have you taken him into your life? and enjoying the refreshment that comes through Jesus. Well, we all have a journey in, on this world. We have 
a journey that leads us through life's trials. We have journeys that leads us to different tribulations, to successes, to occupations, to retirement. And those journeys that we go on in this world leads to a fork in the road. Like you see in this slide, there's a fork in the road, and you can't quite see it on the right, but the right, see it's on the, this side here, leads to eternal death, and this side leads to eternal life. Now, everyone in this world is going to be at that fork. They're going to have two, lie, two paths before them, and they're going to have to make a choice there at that fork. That's going to happen for everyone. No one excluded. So we're at this path, and this is where I was. I was going down this path, enjoying all the things that this world has to offer, and I don't know if it was always enjoying, but um, I was at the end of that path, and Jesus is at that fork, and he's offering you the free gift of eternal life at the fork. And you have two choices. He said, you know, he's saying, come to me. Now, will you be still and hear his voice? Will you be called to eternal life in your own heart? Or are you going to say, don't need it, eternal death? That's a choice you make here on this earth. It's not a choice after you die on this earth. It's a choice made here on this earth. If you don't make this choice on this earth, Read Revelation chapter 9 because that's what you're going to experience if you do not choose Christ while you're living on this earth. That's a terrible thought when you look at that chapter 9. He offers us a choice. He wants us to make the choice now. He wants us to choose life. How do we know that? It says here, if we choose him, it's a wonderful life. I say it is a fantastic life. It's a life that you could never expect, but God gives you a wonderful life, a time of refreshment. In 2 Corinthians, it says, if anyone is in Christ, what does he do? He makes you a new creature. You're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And in John 10 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Is that comforting to you, for those that know Christ? You will never be snatched out of the Lord's hand. You will always be his, forever. In uh, Christianity, there's a term for that. It's called eternal security. Well, I'm glad we have that eternal security for those who are in Christ. That's amazing. I have eternal life, and no one can snatch me out of the Lord's hand. Never. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take heart, the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's pretty amazing. Well, I'll ask my wife, Kathy. Kathy, you knew me before I got saved. Did the Lord change my heart? 
Yeah. He changes the heart. He changes you. Our hearts are changed through Christ. He does all the work. Nothing I could do, but it's through the power of Christ in my life that I have a new heart. So I ask you this morning, for those that don't know the Savior, and he's saying to you this morning, today is the time. Now is the day of salvation. So make this Christmas one of the best in your life. Make this Christmas a day you will never forget by receiving Christ in your life. May these words just um, comfort you this morning, especially the believers. You know you're saved through Christ and it's that precious gift that began with the precious gift that came here to this earth to save me from my sin and to give me a new life in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come together again to remember your birth, we remember the wonder that is in it, Lord, that even from the beginning it was planned. It was even executed perfectly in accordance to your timing. We thank you for the nuggets of truth that we gather from your, from your uh, Bible we pray, Lord, that the scriptures would continually speak to our hearts and encourage us to live for Christ. And may this Christmas be a, a bright Christmas for all of us as we again recount your birth, that we uh, just have complete joy over your coming again. And uh, Lord, we do say this morning, thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth to become a man and also to die on a cross for us, that we might live and have a new life. And in your name we do pray.